0: Um, Quinn, I've been reading up a damn storm.
1: What you been reading?
0: I've been reading a thing called Sirens and Muses. I went to the Center for Fiction in Brooklyn and it was recommended. Like I do like going to a bookstore is such a challenge. They say oh. don't judge a book by its cover. What do you mean? That's all you're going to do. Like oh, picking out a book to read. Oh, you going
1: blind? I don't know if I'd ever go into a bookstore and just blindly select. Really? Yeah. People do it I have lists. I have lists and they're like written... On pieces of paper that I crumble up and stick in drawers that I never open or put in jackets what and then don't wear the jacket for two years. On. It's...
0: Yeah. That's a fun thing you do to yourself. Yeah. I make you a do lot of lists to like yourself.
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> you do two to yourself. I am in the middle of three books and i I don't been think a, I can do that. Let me be clear. I've been in the middle of these three books for... I don't know. Maybe three years. <laughs> it's... I bounce around. I forget what's going on. I begin them again. I... My relationship with these books is getting more serious than I ever wanted it to. They're not particularly great books. What if you just move on? What if you break up with them and find another book? <sighs> I feel like I've come so far, I just need to complete one of them. Maybe what I need to do is decide who. I wish there was a reality game show for this kind of thing, where I could like eliminate books.
0: I, you know what hmm. I did? I did something really tacky. I left the train. The train went express. Annoying. But I got off at the stop after yours, mm-hmm. and I walked, and I read while I walked. Oh, that does sound crazy. <laughs> It's really crazy, but I was like, oh, I want to know on what's happening on my phone.
1: <laughs> I like, to picture you on the iPad walking.
0: Little town, it's a quiet village. village. I just look like Belle
1: on my iPad with my light lit Blonde out. Belle? Blonde All right. Belle. You're really Blonde selling this reading thing. Darkly. What Thanks else so have you
0: been doing besides reading this what week? Have I, this week? Oh, my God. Great question. What have I been doing? Oh, Friday was a fun day for me. I did like a workshop reading of the, sh- the show that I was workshopping last week. The Witches Show. The Witches Show, which was so fun. I don't know if you've ever been, if you ever get an opportunity to read a play that someone funny that you like wrote, mm-hmm. you should do it. It is so fun. And also to to be in a room with funny people and to talk script like it's such a luxury it's like you take it for granted I know when I would do shows in college we would spend a lot of time doing table reads where mm-hmm. you would sit around and talk about the script at nauseam and sometimes mm-hmm. it was like so annoying mm-hmm. when you're workshopping a new script that's just what you do you sit around you talk about what could be fixed what could change your thoughts your opinions you take really big swings because you're just reading the text from you know from a page mm-hmm. and it's that's a very fun luxury to have for yeah, a week definitely. and it's just like talk you know talking to smart funny people laughing trying really silly things in the room is just really funny between recommendations to read and laugh and live
1: love i just want to like knit this on a pillow so i don't forget it
0: i know let's gather around i just said it was it was really fun i, I think yeah. too it's like i you know i i obviously we do this podcast which is soy fun and I have my show which is also soy fun but it's also something that we are in charge of right like the only reason it gets done is because we are the arbiters of it we are producing this we are editing it we are telling the stories what was really fun is to be in a room where I took the back seat oh totally do you know what I mean really someone in a wheel I didn't have to read the script before I just was sent a script and I read it. With low... Like, I just got to be funny. That's really fun. It was a luxury, for sure. It was a luxury, for sure. You had a big week because we tested out your dinner show, which was so fun. Which was fun. I felt like that went really well. It went really well.
1: um, Dear readers, I wrote a a new show for Purple Crayon that's like a... uh, A a show that you would be at a restaurant with your family or friends or a corporate event and you would want to add puzzling to the event. So in two acts, uh, this character would come and be uh, under the guise of testing you out for a secret society would play you through um, a series of puzzles. And it went really well. The puzzles went well. The company was hysterical.
0: Oh, my God. The amount of jokes. I mean, it took a car back and like the jokes didn't stop.
1: Yeah, Rory and Jamie Cummings
0: and oh, the way they go at each other is like we have these
1: friends that are like everything out of their mouth cracks down. And I have to say, Rory is so funny in this way where he's always being funny even if no one's listening to him. Yes. And I know that because I'll hear him and Koa in the next room, like he came early and I was doing something in the kitchen and I could hear them in the living room and Koa was showing him the gingerbread haunted house he built yeah. and I heard Rory to Koa being like, this thing does not look up to code. Like, he was just like,
0: saying <laughs> Koa like, Koa does know, that goes right over but, Koa's like, head. But like, he and
1: Koa talk forever and Rory's like, f- just gems are flying out of Rory's mouth. <laughs> Koa like, pays them no heed. It's just really, really funny. They're like an amazing, I would love to see them do an improv a buddy comedy. comedy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Really, weirdly, a buddy comedy. Weirdly, Koa would be the straight man. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um. By the way, Koa was so excited to see me when I came in that day. That was like, I felt like a freaking Every celebrity. Every that
1: came before you, he went, oh, I thought you were
0: Kawe. <sighs> and so everyone felt it a little sad. Me. And then I came in, he was like, it's Kawe. And I was like, it is me. And it was really fun. It yeah. was really exciting. The
1: kids, they've, they've really remembered their relationship with you since you came back and gotten uh, very Aunt excited. Carrie-o. And Carrie was playing the ukulele the other day to Griff. Oh, my and God. And he... he was he has um, a new toy that makes different sound effects. Applause, farts, booze, boos, all kinds of things. And he was hitting all these very disrespectful buttons during Carrie's concert. And then she started to play a song. And he like went to hit it and then just listened and said, this is a really nice song. I'm not going to hit any
0: buttons. <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment where we were. I was playing, and he was still playing along. I know. As I was playing it, all oh, of a sudden I hear boo <laughs> and it, the timing was so funny and i know it was accidental but it I made know. me laugh so hard because mm-hmm. all of it it just we cackled it was so funny that and is he kind of looked like i did giving. a good thing
1: i did a good thing i laughed. um well my story is really long today so let's without further ado let we are them know. listening to truly darkly creepily that's cariapima that's quinlan posner and let's thank some dearest readers why not Okay, I've got some fun facts for the first one. <gasps> Yay! We're thanking a Lindsay. We're a thanking Lindsay. a Lindsay S. But the thing to know is that Lindsay S. is a super mom of five five
0: kids. Kids. Lindsay S. Five children. children. Floyd's
1: dick. She knows what I mean.
0: Floyd's dick.
1: <laughs> That's right. Floyd's dick. Lindsay knows. And <laughs> Lindsay, Lindsay,
0: you got. Five kids. Lindsay, 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 that's too many kids. (laughs) Lindsay, Lindsay, how the hell are you saying them?
1: Lindsay, 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 which is your favorite? Lindsay, (laughs) Lindsay, Lindsay Lindsay S. Lindsay, Lindsay. your last name is the same last name from the show Deadwood, and that's a clue for everybody (gasps) Don't look
0: her up on Facebook, but do know she has five kids, so give for all the joy in your life. Lindsay. Lindsay. how about alex g alex g alex g i feel like a wiggle <laughs> alex g
1: alex g do you feel like a wiggle too do you love wiggling alex g do you love a wiggle wiggle? do you like a wiggling
0: alex g do you like to join the patreon to get our episodes we love you alex g great it did sound, it did so- Alex G just sounded like a wiggle. Yeah, I wasn't sure why we were doing that, but I was on but board. But don't you feel like it sounded Alex like. Alex G as a wiggle? Yeah. Like, like as a wiggle, like the, the band The Let's Wiggles? a wiggle, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, no? No, to- <laughs> totally.
1: Totally. Um, what about, <laughs> I mean, a thousand percent, yes. And what about. What about. Corin B.
0: Corin B. Don't you want someone to. Care about you, Corinne, You're soaring straight into our hearts,
1: Corin. You are, are so, so floral, a like a beautiful, beautiful flower that we picked, picked from them. the garden, Corin. Corin. Little discordant, but I think we got somewhere. In the mix. There's something salvageable there. I'm not sure what. <laughs> Ashley E. <laughs> it's Ashley. <laughs> Ashley, Ashley, I didn't see you there. Ashley, Ashley, where
0: That's are you? Under Ashley, Ashley, Ashley. Ashley. <laughs> e- 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 e. are you a dolphin,
1: Ashley? E- 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 e. <laughs> okay. Now that we got that serious stuff out of the way, <coughs> business as usual.
0: Um, I would Man, love to sing a story. That was so unhinged. <laughs> I,
1: don't know I think once I think there should be a rule about the singing that when we're done, we don't ever talk about what happens. It's like
0: Fight Club, we don't talk about it.
1: <laughs> we just, please. We
0: actually can't. It's I can't.
1: Already too much that it Thank happens. We don't need to relive it. Okay. Fair. Um, okay. Trigger okay. warning. Okay. Some stuff that has kids. So you like <laughs> kids? If you have five kids, when, if, that's, <laughs> when, if that's some stuff, that kids.
0: is that not warning. gonna trigger warning? When, this has some kids, some stuff about some little kids. kids
1: they die. They die. So okay, I can't laugh you, about
0: that. But your trigger warning, I was. Well, laughing I'm just at like I don't know how much insane. you're supposed to
1: give away in a fucking trigger warning.
0: Look. This is a podcast. If this deals the- with, listen. we do have a true crime podcast. We have a creepy podcast. If it's true, dark, and creepy, we tell the story. Here's the deal. The story that Quinn says, I don't know it, but it sounds like there are, there's some content that is some hard things that happen to Proceed children. Proceed with caution. Proceed with caution. If that's something that makes you uncomfortable, skip to the half the episode. Quinn will probably still be talking and then skip like five more minutes and then I'll start talking. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs>
1: Am I right? Or more, am I right? More like 10. Um 1955. Okay. Okay, one thing I wanted to tell you is that do you remember when you did the Grimes sisters? Yes. Way early in the day. That was in the first like five episodes yes, we did. From Illinois. Well, this is the same neck of the woods in the same time. I feel like frame. this is the same kind of story. Um, this is this is that story. I'm just doing it again, but better. Because no. I think you did do a great job. And that's no. fair. That's but, fair. But um two weeks before Halloween. Three young boys, Robert Peterson, who is 13, John Schusler, who's 13, and John's younger brother, Anton, who is 11, head to a movie called The African Lion. It's, I think, a Disney movie. Didn't do well. Never heard of it. After the movie, they stop by a bowling alley on their way home, and they leave the Monte Cristo bowling alley. They're hitchhiking, is what we think is going on. Okay,
0: it's the 50s, different times.
1: Totally, and it's, I don't know, between maybe 9 and 10 at night. A woman named Hetty Salerno hears screams coming from the direction of a stable she lives near. That's called the Idle Hours Stable. Now, the Idle Hours Stable is owned by a man named Silas Jane, who is—he's like the godfather of horse mafia stuff. Like a very dangerous character in the horse mafia shit that was going down in the fifties is dark and is real and i'll get into that soon but just as far as ge- geographically speaking this stable is close to forest uh preserves preserves is, it's a jam it, do I say it's it a right? jelly
0: <laughs> it's forest preserves it's a, it's a beautiful it pairs it's very delicious. well with the cheese oh and my God. A salty cured meat
1: yes um What do you? How do you say that word? It's preserves. Really? Yeah, the forest preserves. Okay, thank God, because I was like, (laughs) "Am I supposed to say like preserves?" I don't. (sighs) Emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um,
0: No, you just can't say preserves without thinking of um, like a. Yeah,
1: I was like picturing totally. Um, No. Okay, so what happens is two days later, they find the kids there, and they are deceased. Oh. They're dead. They're naked. They'd been bound, gagged with tape. Uh, obviously, the news is like they were sexually assaulted because they're naked. There isn't actual um, physical proof of anything happening. Okay. But it doesn't it's mean they were the sexually 50s, assaulted. So yeah, it's also
0: in the 50s. And
1: so it's confusing. Test, because probably.
0: this happens
1: right outside Chicago, It's just it rocks the whole town. It rocks the whole city. Where in
0: Chicago is this? Um, Do you know? It's
1: in th- – it's Basically, near the border of the city's northwest side. Um okay. yeah. Very close to, my understanding is it's very, very close to Evanston. where the Grimes sisters went to the movies, who also went missing mm-hmm. during that same general time period, and then were found also dead. Mm-hmm. These boys, everybody wanted to know what happened. Everybody's looking into what happened. There was a lot of, my, my understanding is that this book came out called Shattered Sense of Innocence, The 1955 Murders of Three Chicago Children, that- exposed why um, why this investigation was botched and couldn't move forward and that it was for all these different reasons that I'm not really going to get into because it's it's not what I want to tell the story about and I there's only so much time but what they do talk about in this book is R- Richard Lindbergh the author that wrote it says life revolved around the parish Little League and bowling doors were unlocked. There was no urban fear of crime. There was no fear of urban crime. After the Schussler-Peterson murders, that changed. And a lot of people talk about the whole temperature changing in that area. And this case went unsolved for almost 40 years.
0: Oh, my God.
1: But we're just going to skip ahead about 20 years to 1977. It's a circuitous path we're going to take, but we are going to get back to these boys. There is a candy heiress named Helen Voorhees Brock. Uh, her The Brock? Yeah, the yes. Brock, B-R-A-C-H.
0: Hello, exactly. candy corn, Polarizing. Exactly.
1: Very short history on that is that she met the founder, Frank Brock, when she was a coat check girl at a Florida country club. It's giving me Sonia Morgan. Totally, totally. And where's her family crest? Kind mm-hmm. um, of agree with you more. So. Frank died in 1970. Now we're seven years later. She's been really lonely. She doesn't really have a mission. The candy company has been sold and she's just this wealthy widow. Um, And the long and short of it, the facts are that she goes to an appointment at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and is not seen by the public after that again, ever, ever, ever. Whoa. And that is 1977. She is declared legally dead in 1984 just because they go, that's probably the case. So seven years go by, nothing, nothing, nothing. Let's call her dead at this point. Whoa. The facts surrounding her disappearance are very strange and scary. So let me start with her houseman, which, you know, it's sort of like She's a rich. butler. Yeah. 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 And her, I don't know, driver as well. So his name is Jack Matlick. He saw her after the Mayo Clinic appointment. Oh. He's the only one. He's the last to see her alive, according to him. And a bunch of her friends are trying to call her and reach her. Matlick is taking those calls. And apparently, giving them stories that don't match up. Sometimes the stories right. are changing. When he last saw her, or what she's doing, and during the course of that weekend, things we know he did are strange. He scrubbed and cleaned
0: John a Mat- bunch of rooms Mat- in her John mansion. Matlick?
1: John Matlock. He cleaned. It's not
0: looking good.
1: The maid's room. He had. Um, hit the Cadillac he drove. He had completely like washed inside out. He ordered a meat grinder attachment. Jesus. Meat grinding, I guess. He also cashes a bunch of checks, supposedly written by her, that total $13,000. But then her accountant is like, this isn't her signature. But to be clear, when a handwriting analysis person looks at it, it doesn't look like it's Matlik's signature either. Hmm. Anyway, Matlick is like, well, she had really hurt her hand because she'd hit it on a a large chunk. What was she
0: doing at the Mayo Clinic?
1: I can't remember. I'm just like
0: wondering because, like that, that's obviously like a very famous hospital where typically you go for like specialty illnesses or like something like that where like you see they i don't actually know what she was doing there i don't know Um, if it was that way in the 70s either but i'm just so but i do know that
1: was the last time anyone besides him says he saw her was like going into that clinic he didn't report her disappearance for like a couple of weeks God, John. And then they're like, we're going to give you lie detector tests. And he keeps like failing the lie detector test to, in terms of the question of like, do you know what happened to her? Obviously, I don't care about that. We don't care about lie yeah, detector tests. Not. But I'm more telling you that as like the way the investigators felt, I'm sure, was this guy had this guy something, something to do with it. And then he like burnt all these journals of hers as well. Um, so did her brother, though. I think her brother was a part of burning those journals. And the whole thing about the journals is, She would do a thing where she was like letting psychic forces guide her hand. She was like a little bit into spiritualism, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I think they did it because it really felt personal. And he said if anything ever happened to her, she asked that these be destroyed. So I destroyed them. We don't know if that's the case. We just don't fucking know. Um, but two years after, she vanishes. And they're obviously looking at John Matlick. They even looked at her brother because he inherited all this money. But he also had a huge reward for, do you know what happened to my sister? And it really yeah. doesn't look like it was him at all.
0: Um, in, but that's a good cover-up if you have a huge reward for what happened to your sister. And maybe was you made you. John Matlick
1: do it. I don't know. I don't fucking know. But in – 1979 two years later there is a message that gets spray painted near her old estate and it says Richard Bailey knows where Brock's body is now Richard Bailey is a dude that's in the horse world that was going after her Mm -hmm. like they were in a relationship and when they bring him in for questioning he takes the fifth so they don't really learn anything but what it sounds like is that they had a, a tight relationship that suddenly got cut off. And later, when they look into who this guy is, he took out a bunch of Lonely Hearts ads and was like, huh. I love dancing, I love exercising, I love long walks, and I just like I'm super family oriented. And he was dating all these rich widows and mm-hmm. divorcees. Divorcees
0: or divorcees, Quinn? Divorceos.
1: <laughs> <I'm asking. laughs> and um basically the order of operations is that they were like having the time of their lives, New Year's Eve, and then early in 1977, he got her to make some shoddy horse investments. What he basically did is they would bring her to these horses and be like, these are worth so much money. And she'd put in a bunch of money. And he'd be like, yeah, they're worth a lot. And then later he'd be like, come check out these horses. But then she left really fast that second time where people are like, something happened where she was on to him. Because then he's telling her, I have this horse guy. Let me see what he charge you to train these horses. And the guy's like, oh, you should pay like $50,000 to get the horses trained. And then she brings in her own guy and he's like, Mm, no, you shouldn't bring anybody in to train these horses. It's, like, a wasted investment. So she's freaks out and goes to him. Like, she basically realizes, like, you sold me shit horses. Mm-hmm. You had these people lying about, like, what I was buying. And she goes and is like, I'm going to blow this up. Mm-hmm, like, yeah. I'm going to tell everybody you did this. I'm going to go to the district attorney's office and – then she goes to a friend and is like, you'll never believe it, that guy I'm seeing, Bailey, he sold me these fucking, like, bunk horses. And she's like, well, I know, her friend's like, I know state prosecutors. Do you want their number? And she's like, yeah, I want to go visit their office right after I go to the mail Clinic. So the timeline
0: adds is tricky. up. So okay. when they're
1: looking at this guy, they're like, what's his game? They're, and they, like, look into his con game his his history and basically um i read Richard
0: bailey such like an americana name totally
1: it's like and there was like three ways three cons that seemed to be his classics he would say his money was tied up and he found a horse though that was like this really good investment opportunity and then he'd use the horse's collateral um and he'd get a a loan from the victim and he'd never repay the victim mm-hmm. but then if he defaulted on the loan they're just stuck with this fucking horse and all the boarding bills for the horse the other thing he would do is be like let's go into a partnership oh together God. using a live and he would like have, using
0: a live animal as collateral
1: it is gets so, so, so much worse so he would go in with a, a buddy and and he'd be like let's go to this guy whose horse is for sale and it's such a good deal you know what I'm going to split it with you because this horse is going to make us so much money. Let's split it. Let's each put in however much. And he'd match it. But then as soon as the woman walks away, his friend friend tears up his check and they split hers. And obviously, the horse is worth nothing. Basically, he does all kinds of scams like this. And he gets charged eventually with fleecing her and a bunch of other ladies because this was just his pattern. But when they're doing the probe on this, they're talking to a bunch of different people in this shitty horse mafia world mm-hmm. in Chicago. They basically unlock the saddest, grossest, weirdest world where there's all these riders and trainers and people that are charged with insurance fraud schemes that yeah. where they were like paying to insure horses and then like killing them or breaking their legs. Um and doing like terrible things to
0: to maim the horses to so collect the insurance, insurance it's like, on them it's giving me also like when did remember in Crime of a Lifetime we covered the horse girl mm-hmm. episode like that's the same area it's so dark but like they, they were like electrocuting horses breaking oh. them
1: their legs with sledgehammers and crowbars like horrible they like would light hay on fire in a barn and like these horses would burn alive it's so sad and it was so dense, the amount of this sort of thing that was happening. There was just guys that were basically horse killers, like like that you'd hire a hit. You'd be like, that's a horse hitman. I can like pay him to come kill my horse or like my friend's horse or it- – Jeez. <laughs> can you imagine? No. So this is when they also start getting into the connections to this guy, Silas Jane, like I said, he's like the godfather. He's like the main guy. And he's a really bad guy. In his history, he has a rape conviction. And he has, I could do a whole episode on him plotting to kill his brother George. He and his brother George were rivals in this world. And I cannot get into it. But I can tell you because it's like too much. But I can tell you the number of times he said he was going to kill his brother and tried to kill his brother is the longest list in the world. And He would do things like plant all kinds of different bombs, try to shoot him through his work office window. He one time rigged his car with dynamite and the guy sent his like secretary to move his car and she blew up. So... Blood is all over this guy's hands. And, Jesus. and eventually he did kill his brother. He got somebody to kill his brother. They and they killed him when he was at home celebrating his son's 16th birthday. Jesus. They shot him through the basement window when he was dealing a bridge hand to his family members. I mean, cold blooded shit. And this is his brother. So he's Jesus. dark, dark, darkness and like very scary. But he's been dead for years when they start going through this case yeah. stuff. Um, but he was in the same circles as as Richard um looking at his past look, diving into Silas Jean's past they're like oh he was also questioned in 1955 of course because that was uh his stable was near where the boy's bodies were found who
0: Silas or ba- Silas oh, Silas Silas's wow. stables yeah. so he
1: owned he owned a lot of things but yes but there was a man that worked at those stables Named Kenneth Hansen, who was 22. If this is is now in his 60s.
0: If this is John, what's the houseman's name? Matlick. If this is John Matlick, I'll scream. Oh, well, just hold your horses. <laughs> <laughs> I just like wanted to guess. Like it's a fun who done it because we're full circle. It's, there's so many <gasps> characters. That's why I tried to so limit the 20, storytelling okay, so because it's
1: kind of wild. Um, so there's a 20 year old that works at John Silas. There was Silas's. a 22 year old that that worked near those stables or at those stables, depending on who you ask. Definitely an associate of Silas Jane. Mm-hmm. A definitely a, a neer good. What do you call him? A, ne'er, a ne'er-do-well. A ne'er-do-well. ne'er-do-well. Kenneth Hansen. He was 22 at the time those boys died. I,
0: my uncle's name is Ken. was Ken Hansen.
1: It's not him. I looked into okay, thank it. I made you. sure he wasn't related to thank you. Thank you so much. I always do that with these stories.
0: Oh, phew. Yeah. So while they're
1: doing this and they're like, this roster is getting enormous of looking into all these different people, but they're trying to, I imagine they've got their, their character board mm-hmm. um, and they're drawing like, you know, lines with yarn and whatnot. And then an informant Comes forward named William Red Womet, and he is a Chicago pornographer. And He's like, Oh, Kenny Hansen, he told me that he murdered those boys. That's the
0: New York accent. I want full Chicago. Oh, sh- Chicago. Kenny Hansen, he told me he murdered those boys. Kenny Hansen, oh, he told me he murdered those boys. <laughs> he t- yeah, I don't know. That's do that. better. Is that it? He, he told something me he like those that. boys. They mm.
1: find. A lot of witnesses that are like, yeah, sure. Years ago, he was drunk and told me the same. Um, they look into his history, and they're like, you're not a great guy. In 1970, <laughs> you're not. Look into decidedly. into history, and they go, just, you know
0: what? They're he's not, not a, a good, good guy. guy. He's not a
1: good guy. Well, in 1970, he supposedly lit a fire that killed 36 horses, be- <gasps> and it was just to take out a competitor's stable. And so they're like, oh, now that we think about it, now that we're thinking about him in terms of being an arsonist, an arsonist, we also remember that we were talking years ago about exhuming those boys' bodies for evidence. And and right when we said we were gonna do it, there was a fire at his barn. Did he do it because there was something there that he was trying to destroy evidence-wise and then they exhume the boys, and they did find hay in their lungs. So it's like he, they are tied somehow to being near, in one of these nearby. nearby. Mm-hmm. Yes. They end up bringing him to trial. And he, he knows it's coming. Like, he's asking neighbors, are there police watching my house? And he packed a suitcase to leave town, but they bust him. They arrest him in August in 1994. 1994. She was killed, she went missing in 1977. She, Just so you're starting to get like a clear picture of Well, how Also,
0: the boys, so wait, wait, wait. 1955. 1950, but he was arrested for her? He was arrested for them. Thank you. But for it the boys. was her. She's like,
1: that's why I was saying it's so circuitous. Basically, by looking into what happened to Helen, they start to think they can answer what happened to, to those boys. boys. It wasn't, they never would have thought that was the path that they were walking
0: on. Yeah. But somehow it is. Wow. And that is some good police work of just leaving your mind open mm -hmm. and allowing the evidence to come and not having a pre-existing narrative. And I think
1: because it's local, it's like everyone, again, those boys were everything. So everybody knew and everybody always had it on the brain. But um, they bring him to trial At this point, he's in his 60s. He's married. He has a couple of kids. And he's like, I am innocent. And his son, who was born after those little boys died, of course, um, tells reporters, whoever would have done a crime like this would have to have been a monster. And that's not my father. Um, During his trial, they paint a picture of like these were kids that were hitchhiking. They got picked up by him. He took him to the stable where he worked the idol stable, and he sexually abused at least one of them, strangled all of them. And then seven months later, he burnt down these stables to get rid of all the evidence when, when he knew we were going to exhume them. A lot of witnesses come forward in this trial and say – yeah, he picked up under underage boys hitchhiking. Yes, he tr- would try to get them to work at the stable. He'd try to have sex with them. There was a young boy that says, I walked in on this guy when I was a kid and he was uh, performing oral sex on a 15-year-old. And he said, if I told anyone, I'd end up like those boys in the forest. Doesn't really prove anything. Some of the characters that come forward, Roger Spry is one. He says that when he was 11 or 12, he started living with Hanson's family. And that Hansen tried to abuse him. He Mm -hmm. rebuffed it. And then he was made to sleep outside in a dog kennel. And that finally he stopped pushing away and Hansen would perform oral sex on him. Then they had a sexual relationship that lasted till he was 18. And one thing about the oral allegations is that, again, these boys were naked. We don't know if anything happened to them. We wouldn't know if it was oral in nature. So he says that as when he got older, Hanson would basically be like, t- would tell him things and ended up telling him that he picked up three boys that were hitchhiking once and took them to the barn and started having sex with one or both of the younger ones. The other one walked in. He, they said he was going to get in trouble or threatened to report him and he didn't know what to do. So he did kill them. There's a oh, guy ahead. that comes forward that's now that was 21 at the time and says that he was had a consensual sexual relationship with Kenneth. He says that he admitted to him too that he had killed those boys a few weeks afterwards and that his dad this guy Herb Hollins was a Chicago police officer and he didn't tell him and he didn't tell anybody because he was so scared of getting that it would get out that he was homosexual. So he just didn't tell anybody. And he he was afraid also of being killed because he knew how dangerous uh, Kenneth Hansen was. So then there's all these people that come forward and go, he didn't work at the barn during those years. And I never saw him there. Or somebody saying like, I remember when that spry kid lived there. I'd come early in the morning for work. That kid did not sleep in a fucking dog kennel. I never saw him in a dog kennel. Um, Then they bring this guy forward, Dan Strong, who he served with. Who uh the defendant served within the military. And he says, he and his wife Beverly were visiting me when this crime was committed. They were they were visiting me in Texas. And they show all these pictures of the trip. It doesn't they can't date the pictures, so it doesn't hold up really. And he's like, to the best of my knowledge, it did happen during that time, but I don't know the exact dates. The defense sort of botches the trial in that they should have probably just focused on you don't have enough proof because there's no forensic evidence. Of course, it's a right. very old case. There right. wouldn't it's be. It's all circumstantial. But they do weird things like be like, you know what? It was John Wayne Gacy. And everyone's like, John Wayne Gacy was 13 at the time. He was the same age as all these little boys that got killed. And they're like, yes, but that's when you got a taste for it. And it's like a little
0: like, let's relax. Like yeah. you don't need to find like this whole other narrative. They should have just pulled up Larry Posner and been like, just Dispute the evidence that they have, just not to even deal with what you but have. But I'm sure it sounds like in the 90s, too. I mean, like, obviously, having all these men come forward and talk like the feelings against gay men, I'm sure, didn't help in a jury trial. This as is well. huge, and like,
1: that's what that's part of the appeal because he will get convicted, but he'll appeal it and he'll say, This trial, so much of this trial was about me being gay, so much of this trial was that I had a penchant for underage boys. All of it's true. I never denied picking up hitchhikers. I never denied having Illegal. sex with- Illegal. Illegally Illegal. with Illegal. kids. Illegal. But that's the wrong thing to prosecute. You don't get to prosecute someone for murder just because they're a child molester. Right. You have to stick to the- right. It's like, and it's of like course was, we all just want the bad guys in the jails, but it's like, that's yeah. not-
0: We can't muddy the system. That's very dangerous. Totally, totally. But he was on trial. He was basically on trial for this murder, but he was convicted because he was- A pedophile
1: well yes and and of course the defense will make it say the same with a gentler touch and say because he was homosexual he is convicted he's sentenced to 200 years and you gotta look at it and say why secondhand testimony of people that were for the most part had reasons to hate him were not reliable narrators. Were like not trustworthy. Were known liars. Like a lot of them were. And it just brings up this question of: Can you even have a fair trial that many years later without any, without anything but circumstantial I mean, but we, evidence? Exactly,
0: because DNA DNA comes out in the late '80s, early '90s. But I don't know if they're even able to have any connection. They don't at that point, of course, because they don't. You know, it's in the '50s that this crime happened. That there's no way to even forensically connect the two so in 2000
1: they're like we probably like some of the things we allowed into this trial maybe shouldn't have been so they're gonna do a retrial they do he's convicted again with like a similar sentence situation and in 2007 he's waiting for another appeal on that and he dies in in prison Mm -hmm. and he's 74 years old um The closure on Helen's case, because we kind of hopped away from that, and I want to circle back, is that her body was never, ever found. Yeah. They had some people, like, say they knew what happened that are also not trustworthy people, but they're like, we think her remains might have been dissolved, um, like, in a chemical vat. Yeah. Or in a furnace and there and the, it was the chicago outfit behind it and then it had to do with her threatening to expose uh because it wasn't just if she, Richard. if
0: she if she were to expose richard she would expose she the taken, entire and thing and there was a
1: lot of powerful people and way more sure, powerful yeah, than richard and i'm richard. sure
0: that the prosecutor too would have gotten you know if they were if they wanted to prosecute i mean they could have taken it and just run with it well, and the, shut down the well the mafia. only
1: person they can point to is with they feel evidence is Richard Bailey, and they do. And he gets sentenced to 30 years on, and I quote, the preponderance of evidence that he was the killer. Hmm. He was released in July of 2019. Don't come for me, Richard Bailey. 89 years old at the time, served his time. Matlick, never charged. That guy knows And it so. doesn't sit well. He is also dead. He died in 2011 at a nursing home. And the brother says, I think it was Matlick.
0: Wait, Matlick's brother says it was Matlick? No, no,
1: her brother, Helen's brother. Oh, right. right. Helen's brother is like, I think it was Matlick. And I think he I don't, got money from it, And he said, him, and not yeah. only that, I don't think Richard Bailey had anything to do with it. I don't think any of those, um, the mafia guys, the racketeer guys, I don't think it was related. Do you
0: think that Kenneth Hansen... Killed the boys?
1: I don't know how he could have defended himself from what they were presenting in trial 40 years later. It doesn't seem like a very fair trial to me. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he didn't do it. He But also there was a guy that confessed to those murders that they didn't even bring that to the trial. Like there were certain things that, I, which
0: again, like false confession, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily mean it happened. I, I mean, listen, I do think that Kenneth Hansen belonged in jail because he was clearly taking advantage of.
1: Children. One thing that
0: confuses me a lot is that it doesn't take a negligible amount
1: of time to choke someone. And the idea... Three boys. That he goes, oh, I'm going to get caught. He's like five, six. Kind of skinny. You know, not like much bigger. He was like a huge presence. D- the
0: cause of death of the boys was it strangulation. they all strangled. So then you go, what? How? How? It just seemed... It seems like
1: it had been really tricky and a lot of people think that he had a big brother. Um... Curtis Hansen and a lot of them think that he maybe was there that night and maybe was party to this and that they did it together. Um, but like the other thing is like they uncovered all sorts of things. They say there was a pedophile ring on the northwest side and that there was a guy named Charles Dalquist who was already under indictment for molesting a kid in that exact forest
0: and he oh, could have done it. These so poor kids. It just... Poor families like that's just oh, my God. So we do I think he did it? I don't know.
1: But I'll tell you one thing that's that's pretty interesting is that in an article I read uh, that came out exactly a year ago, November 2022, pretty Mm -hmm. much was about the Grimes sisters. And it was saying it's been 60 years and they really always thought that the Grimes sisters were related to these three boys death that it was the same yeah. uh, person. And that they realized they're able to prove that Hanson was at the Brighton theater at the same time those girls were the same night mm. and that their bodies were found on property that he had leased for pasturing horses.
0: Is it a they, coincidence? And here's or the is thing it... that's
1: like a total buzzkill in this. And maybe this will sound familiar from when you did it. They had a semen sample from Barbara. They lost it. Yeah. Um, Hansen's DNA is in the database now because of all this, but they can't compare it because they lost her sample. And it just lost it. And jeez, it's on the table right now, or at least it was when this article was written, that a lot of people were like, we got to exhume them. We got to exhume them to try to solve this because now we have some kind of DNA to test against their bodies, which is Hansen's."
0: The question is, is do you, do you disrupt the bodies? And I'm actually the story we're going to, I'm going to tell a truly darkly, creepily story about, um, bodies, but that's, that's well, I'm I'm done. I just
1: want to add, I would say like, it's all very
0: like, it's, it's, it's like you want it to, it's thought provoking and you want it to be tied up. You want it, you want to put the bow on it. I don't have a bow to put on this. I'm going to
1: give you the best bow I can, which, which is, is that there was so much sadness in this story. And there was so variety. much crime.
0: And I don't know if the people so that went to, crime. I don't know if the people went to jail for the crimes that they committed. Everybody should have been in jail. Exactly. They should
1: have just been like, exactly just go to jail. You're it's, all acting poorly. I just want, poorly. I just
0: want, I just want there to be, I just want there to be justice for those boys. And if this is the closest I can get to justice, but I don't, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, I know that the animal violence
1: is really really hard for some people to stomach and i did want to put this little gift out there that when helen was declared dead and she had no idea what was going to happen to her and she had no idea who she was going to get involved with and it was these kinds of people Mm -hmm. but very ironically she had left an enormous chunk of her
0: estate to animal rights causes so just so sad because too is that you can say like i'm sure richard bailey saw that in preyed up on it you know like i'm sure like that that feeling of you know she was this heiress who lost her husband she had this candy fortune Mm -hmm. and she just wanted to like preying on people's empathy is just so gross thank you for telling that story yeah all right well the story i'm telling is not similar at all but there might be some crossover. We always look for it. We always look for it. We always love to see it. Okay. So I got this information from People Inside Edition.
1: (gasps) I didn't see my sources. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank God you said something. I got to go back in time and tell you that I got my sources from New York Times, LA Times, WGN TV, Court of Appeals, The People versus Hanson, New City. Case law: People versus Hanson, UPI, People, ABC, and United States versus Bailey. Hot, hot,
0: what? Okay, I am got my sources from, and you're gonna just going to copy and paste that into a previous.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I'm so profesh.
0: Do you know how to do that? You just cut the chunk, copy, and then paste it, and you can put it elsewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm do that.
0: OK, I got this information from People, Inside Edition, New York Times, New York Post, CBS, Press Democrat, Cron, Foreign, NBC. I'm going to be talking about Katie Sorensen. Do you know about her? No. Katie Sorensen, I always just like assume you might know. And you might have heard of her. Oh, I often know things, and I often you do not. You often know things. And that's sort something like I think. 50, 50. It's a 50-50. Katie Sorensen, she's a momfluencer from California. Sweet. And her handle is Motherhood Essentials.
1: How essential?
0: And she has two kids. She has a one-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. And a little bit about like her mom influencer vibe is like, I would say I didn't follow her because she's been deactivated. Um, (laughs) I would say like from what I understand, she was like peddling some conspiracy theories. Mm. Some might say she might have been a little bit too close to QAnon for comfort.
1: Okay. So like really doesn't give me like Lori Vallow vibes. Lori Vallow, but like she
0: believed in demons. I don't know if it's demons, but she does believe that like a lot of fear-based content is mm-hmm. sort of like what I'm gleaning from it. So it is December 7th, 2020. She is at Michael's craft store because of course she is. I mean, listen, we prefer Michaels, we love Michaels. Take to Michaels, anyway. But I would imagine, I would imagine she's a Hobby Lobby girl, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Oh, okay. Do
0: you know what I, you know the vibe? Sure do. You know? Um, but she's at Michaels, she's a craft store in Petaluma, California, which is about forty miles north of San Francisco. And she's with her two kids and they're shopping, and she notices she's being followed by a Latino couple. And they've made comments to her about her kids. And so she does her shopping, she pays for it, she goes outside. And uh she's loading her kids in the car from the stroller. And she claims that the couple approached her and like tried to reach into the stroller and tried to like kidnap her kids. Um, so she sees this happening, she screams for help, they leave. She's quoted as saying, you know, they didn't necessarily look clean cut. Um, they gave her the heebie jeebies and that she was paralyzed with fear. So Right after this trip to Michael's, she calls the police. And she's like, hey, I have to tell you what happened. My kids almost got kidnapped. It was really scary. Can I come in? They're like, come in, make a statement. She goes in and makes a statement. She writes the report down. She talks to, I think, an officer and a dispatch. And about a week later, um, she gets on her Instagram. Because you know what? Take your broken heart and turn it into art. Am I right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Am I right? You're right. So when you're right, you're right. She has 57,000 followers on her mm. Instagram. And she tells this harrowing tale of what I just told you. She says, she says, my children were the targets of an attempted kidnapping. I want to share that story with you in an effort as to what signs to look for and to encourage parents to be more aware of their surroundings and what is going on around them.
1: And then she just has a, a guide on how to racially profile people.
0: Yes, oh if they look different from you, for sure they probably, it's, them are. it's probably they're probably trying to attack you.
1: <laughs> Do you know so what I mean? Super healthy. Thank God for people like you. You fucking
0: asshole. This video, Quinn, is viewed over four million times. It it launches her little mommy essentials, mother essentials, motherhood essentials Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it like she gets a bunch of views, a bunch of people start supporting her. She gets a couple of news outlets who want to speak to her. And once this video comes out, and the police obviously start to sort of piece this together and look at this video, they notice that she had some discrepancies uh, between uh... the report. And the video. Wait, so she's
1: actually, what's her name that faked her own kidnapping? Sherry Papini. She's Sherry Papini I say vibes Sherry of Papini. I got kidnapped
0: by. This is Sherry Papini. In fact, like a lot of the articles were like more about it. Sherry Papini. Yep. So what happens is, is obviously people start sharing. fear spreads like wildfire and she becomes like someone who's protecting kids and is just like doing it out of the goodness of her heart. You know, she wants to make sure parents know what to look out for. Mm hmm. So the police are looking like, this is really weird. They interview her a week later and they show her some surveillance footage from the Michaels that day that they had acquired. And she's able to identify the Latino couple that followed her, that she claims is them. So she identifies this couple as the perpetrator. Local media outlets invite her on. She starts talking to a bunch of people. She ends up revealing the couple that followed her around. Revealing like... Who they were. Saying their names. I think so. It's a little unclear, but somehow indicating their identity. Yes. And the internet being the internet, they found them. Um the police are obviously looking at the surveillance photo, the surveillance footage of the people that she had indicted in her report, or the Mm -hmm. people that she had accused of the report. And when the police start looking at the video, like they didn't even come in contact with her. Yeah. Like they weren't even close. Do they have it of the parking lot?
1: Is her whole thing like you didn't see it happen, it happened out here?
0: I don't know what her whole thing is, but mm-hmm. she has a story and she is sticking to it, my guy. So the police interview the couple and they deny all the allegations. Yeah. Um, the police essentially hear the allegations, they look at the video and they're like, this investigation is closed. Um, This is a fake reporting that she did. The couple in question is Sadie and Eddie Martinez. And what happened is, is, they had been there had been photos, photos of them. They had been maligned. she had allure, she had like, um, I don't know if she revealed them their name. I believe I don't know if she revealed their name to be honest, but I think she alluded to them and I think people were able to find them so much so that the two of them ended up having a press conference with their attorney where they were like, hi, we were accused of this and it's not us. And they even said they were just guilty of shopping while Brown. Mm-hmm. Is what they said. Um, in fact, their story is they were at Michael's that day because they were they were shopping for Christmas decorations. They bought a baby Jesus for their nativity scene. That's mm-hmm. like what they were doing that that day. And frankly, yeah. they didn't need any more babies. OK, they had the most they important, the most door, famous baby in their sale. possession. I don't think they wanted this crazy ladies, one year old and four year old kid. I, <laughs> they weren't interested. And no,
1: in it. it's like outlandish to think that that's what happened.
0: The fact too is that they didn't have any interaction with her not once during their trip to Michaels. But once their names got out, it was like they couldn't put the lid back on it. Mm-hmm. It was hell for them. They they already, you know, they expressed how challenging it was to be a Latin family in a wholly white community. Um, and that even though the story was false and the investigation was dropped, this couple was harassed relentlessly. Um, they were harassed online. Their landlord got wind of it and essentially evicted them. They found a reason to evict them from their homes. Mm-hmm. They were racially profiled. Um, and all of this comes to a culmination. So this accusation happens in December 2020. And Less than a year later, Katie Sorensen is charged with three misdemeanor counts of making a false report of a crime. Good. The initial videos she posted on her stupid Instagram have been deleted, but she does have supporters still who believe her because she never got out and said, I was wrong, this happened. She never apologized. She never apologized. She never tried to get in front of it. She just let the narrative go. And it's like these people don't have any legal recourse against her. Because the point was dropped, sue her? But I don't know if she necessarily outed them herself. She mm-hmm. like alluded to them. I don't think this was their recourse. Their recourse was that she could be charged for making a false statement. Yeah. Her supporters claimed that she was just trying to protect her kids and they even created websites to support her. In this trial. Like, that's how oh, this yeah, lie yeah, got out yeah. of Well, hand. that's how
1: much people want the story to be true. People
0: wanted the story to be true. People are fear-mongering. And like, again, she's coming from a place that's like, I just want to protect everyone. Mm. And it's like, no, you don't. She's <laughs> coming from a very racist place. A of very racist wanting place. An opportunistic, disgusting yeah. clickbait that didn't happen. in this poor couple mm-hmm. who whose life was turned upside down from her disgusting accusations. Um so She at one point while she was awaiting trial, she tried to secure diversions, which is a process that dismisses misdemeanor charges if a defendant meets the terms and conditions presented to the court. So the judge who was presiding over this case denied this twice. And the reason this judge denied this twice was because she said that Katie never took responsibility for her actions or Mm -hmm. even explained why she claimed kidnapping in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because, again, I don't think they could have charged her Based on what she said online, because I think there's a protection of free speech. Yeah. I think she could have said that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And so who are you to arbitrate that? And like what can of worms would that open? So the only thing they could do was like you spoke to uh, officers of the law and you lied. Prosecutors maintain that she was trying to financially benefit from the content. Makes sense. She has a page and... It drove clicks and interest. They also said that um, they also talked about her involvement and engagement in QAnon conspiracy theories, which center on kidnapping and pedophiles. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like this idea, this input that she's having, this stuff that she's reposting. And then it like she has a way that she could justify that it happened to her. And like mm-hmm. she's striking while the iron is hot. Her claims is that she just misinterpreted the events of December 7th. That is so shitty. Like she doesn't ever fully come out and say, I lied. That's not what happened. I'm sorry. In April of 2023, she was convicted of one single count of knowingly making a false report of a crime. The other two charges were dropped because um, one of them was a statement made to a dispatcher and the other was to an officer. I think the initial one before she made the formal report. Mm -hmm. So they tried to charge her with that. But I'm curious if they're like, they never asked are you telling the truth or something? I'm sure there was like a loophole that got her out of it, but she was convicted on one misdemeanor account. She faced up to six months in jail, but she was sentenced to 90 days in jail with 60 of the 90 days could, are eligible to be served as a work release program. She never addressed the court. Not not an apology, nothing. But Sadie did. Mm-hmm. But Sadie did, the wife of this couple. She said that a heartfelt apology could have prevented it from getting to this point. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be like this, Mm -hmm. is what she said. Mm -hmm. And it's just wild to me that this woman has never admitted to what she did. Officials even say she's never taken responsibility for her actions. The judge on the case, Judge Laura Pasaglia, she said that Katie acted with selfishness and maliciousness. When she was convicted, in addition to the 90 days, 60 of which is on work release, which I'm like, eye roll, it doesn't feel like enough to me. But you know what? That's why I'm not a judge.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but
0: like the fact like these people like lost their home. These people lives were turned upside down. And there's people out there that still think that they were guilty of something that they never did. She was also placed in a year long informal probation, which means she is banned from using any and all social media. And she also has to submit to warrantless search searches and seizures. And she has to complete a four hour Impact bias training. How? Inconvenient. How Four inconvenient. Hours. Do you think that's going to um, deprogram her? her from QAnon is my question for you. Do you think it's going to work? I just can't believe she got off so easy. So easy. I mean, she also has fines. <laughs> but I think, like, to me, what was so clear about she this she be staying
1: based- from Michael's forever and Hobby Lobby. <laughs> No craft stores for there you. There should be no craft stores at all. Joanne Fabrics, good luck. You're running around taking joy from people. We're gonna take that joy right back.
0: Her poor kids, too. Oh like her God. poor fucking horrible. kids.
1: Horrible.
0: They're like lost They're like their little mom-
1: pawns in this yes. fucking make-believe yes. game. Yes, yeah, and horrible. she's like
0: a blonde white lady.
1: hmm Of course
0: she is. Which let's you know, I am too, but I, I hope I'm not that blonde white lady. Like she's the definition of a fucking mm-hmm. Karen. Obviously, Sadie and Eddie Martinez, the couple, they've been—they were interviewed, and they were like, "We think it should have been tried as a hate crime." Mm-hmm. Essentially, mm. it's like, "Why wasn't it?" And yeah, the defense—that's what it is. The defense to this had said that, um, well, in the video, she also sort of like pointed to a suspicious white person that she encountered, so it wasn't racist. <laughs> oh my God. Vile, absolute vile. When the verdict was read, um, Eddie. He kissed his wife's hand. And I think this is how you know they're the bigger, better people in this situation, because he also spoke to a news outlet and he said, you know, he empathized with Katie because being a parent to be away from your kids that long, it's tough. I feel bad, he said. He added that hopefully this might teach her a lesson of seeing other sides of life, experiencing that, hearing that, going through it. It might wake her up and help her see the light. Oh, we hope so, Eddie, but we don't think so. I am we not. We think she's human garbage for life. Sadie is just hopes that she feels some sort of remorse. And she said, when you make a mistake, own it. Doubling down didn't do anything but hurt her even more. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what she did. She doubled down. And it was so gross when she was convicted. Like, the tears that she cried was so gross. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Where it was
0: like, grow up. Grow up. I hate it. Yeah, so do I.
1: What a story. What a fucking A little short monster. but sweet story
0: after your long one.
1: What an absolute
0: monster. But I think what's crazy to me, again, is like what blew my mind is I think she was falling on the sword in this one, which this is what was confusing me, to me. As I'm sure her defense team was like, you should issue an apology. You should, even if you don't feel it, you should issue an apology and I'm wondering if she was like, no, I'm not going to because I'd rather have this. Or maybe she believed it in some way or she'd rather have this like sort of vague. Well, by not denial, like, an
1: apology, she also kept a lot of those people who were her supporters being like, maybe it is. true.
0: Do you know what I mean? Like, I think. And that's, which is think the crime. So,
1: that's a double crime. You know, yeah, I think like, that's what's insidious not anything, about it. She's continuing to perpetrate
0: the lie. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, they can they can judge her for making a false statement. But like. What is truth? What is a lie, especially among QAnon conspiracy theorists? I thought that was what was interesting to me about this case was like, and that came up not in a ton of research that she was like peddling QAnon conspiracies. But this idea of like falling on the sword and like trying to be a martyr for this cause, and like there are very real life consequences to this lovely couple who showed her nothing but empathy and compassion. It's just like it's so grotesque to me but it's like it it reminds me of sort of like the political world that we're in at the moment which is you have people who are lying and I and I it's you know Trump to me it's the trump of it all it's like does he believe the lie or is he using it to self serve? No. Like I don't know. I don't always know the difference. difference serve, I think. It's always but it can be both, right? So like I don't know if she can say
1: it so much. You're confused about what you believe in.
0: Totally. Like I'm. I genuinely that is something I'm so curious about. And I think like, can you say a lie enough times where it is true in your mind? Yeah, I guess. I I but like the real life consequences. But of But there this. is that it's threat like, of deciding to tell
1: the lie in the first place. Yes. So it's,
0: but it's like, it's like the election. It's like, I mean, again, I don't want to get, I mean, we can get into it if you want. But like with the election deniers, right, the big lie, as it's been quoted, is like, do you think Trump really believes that the election was stolen? No. You don't think? No, I don't at
1: all think. And I think I could be totally wrong about this, but I think he's told people that. Like, I think it's. I think he
0: believes it. I think he hmm.
1: genuinely believes Interesting. it. Interesting. Let's ask him.
0: Coming out of the closet.
1: Coming out. out. Coming out of the podcast closet. Donald Trump. (laughs) Fuck you. How did you fit in there? Oh, I guess (laughs) your hands are really small. Well, what's a lie? What's truth? What's lying? What's truth? Write in and tell us. Write in
0: and tell us. And
1: we'll see you next. We'll see you next week with another lie (gasps) and a truth,
0: or maybe two truths and a lie, or maybe two lies.
1: And or maybe no trees. Goodbye. <laughs> or is it?